On uh, August 22nd of 2003, uh, Baylor University hired Scott Drew to be their new men's basketball coach. And if you remember anything about the Baylor basketball program at the time, it was mired in scandal and uh, all kinds of problems it was having. But from the get-go, Scott Drew uh, laid before his players, his coaches, the fan base, the students, that they had a mission or a goal in mind. And that mission was to become a nationally elite program and to win the national championship. Now, again, this is on the heels of scandal, crime, all kinds of issues that they were having. And actually for the first three years, from 2003 to 2006, they were under probation. They said, this is how bad it got. They said it was so bad that they could not field a basketball team, a Division I men's basketball team, so they had walk-on trials. They allowed students from on campus saying, we need to have at least 14 people on the roster. If you play JV basketball or freshman basketball in high school, come on and try out. I mean, they were desperate, and yet he had this mission and purpose that they would become a nationally elite program and win the national championship. That was their mission, and their motive was this. He calls it the joy principle, Jesus, others, and yourself from Philippians chapter 2. Now, imagine this. Imagine that he's laid it out clearly. The mission is national elite program, win a national championship. And then he says, our motive is Jesus, others, and yourself, the joy principle. That's why we're going to do it. Imagine if you asked the 14 players on the roster and seven of them, half of them said, if you asked the whole team, hey, what's the mission of our basketball program? And half the team, seven players out of 14 says, I don't know. I don't know. And imagine if another three players on the team says, I think, I know we have a mission. I I know we do, but I I don't know what it is. Don't know what it is. And then another one player out of that 14 says, mission? What mission? Like, we're just here to have fun? So imagine if 11 out of the 14 players were clueless about the mission of this basketball program. Imagine on the coaching side, they've got four coaches, a head coach and three associate coaches, If two of the coaches, two of the four said, "Uh, mission, I don't know, do we have a mission? One is clueless about it. Imagine if three out of the four coaches were clueless about the mission and the motivation. Obviously, they would not win a national championship, amen, if they had that kind of uh, attitude on the program. So, but uh, this last Monday, you can put that slide up for all the Baylor fans in here. They did win a national championship. So obviously, this focus back in 2003, this mission of, Nationally elite program, win a national championship. That mission was accomplished. To do it with joy, Jesus, others, and yourself, that was accomplished at Baylor University. But here's the thing. Um, Next slide, please. Uh, A number of years ago, Barna, three years ago, did this study, and they asked American churchgoers, Christian churchgoers, all right, this isn't like at the Buddhist temple or the mosque. This is Christian churchgoers, American churchgoers, Have you heard of this thing called the Great Commission that Jesus gave? And if you heard of it, can you tell me what it is? 51% of American churchgoers says, I've never even heard of the Great Commission. What's the Great Commission? They had never heard of it. Another 25%, a fourth of them said, yes, I've heard something about the Great Commission, but I I couldn't even tell you what it is. And then 6% said, I don't even know what you're talking about. They're clueless on this whole issue. So that's 83%, 82-83% of American churchgoers have no idea about this most important mission, the mission that Jesus Christ gave 
You and I as individual believers, but also collectively as the church, we're clueless on it. And so I don't want to put any shame in your game or anything like that. If you don't know, what I want to do over the next four weeks, and, and as a staff and elders, we want this, is the Great Commission is our mission at Bayou City Fellowship. That's our mission. If you ask us what we're about, the Great Commission is our mission, all right? So what I want to do over the next four weeks is help us learn what the Great Commission is, how we get to participate in it, how we can be equipped to do it, amen? So if you have your Bibles, let's start with part one in Matthew chapter 28, and this is the Great Commission itself. Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. I'll just read all these verses in our hearing. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to uh, follow all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So this is the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And I want to give a message today entitled The Great Commission Sandwich, The Great Commission Sandwich. So I want to talk to you first about the two pieces of bread that sandwich the mission itself. So in verse 18, Jesus says this, and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. If there's a theme of the gospel of Matthew, it's the kingship of Jesus. And throughout it, you're going to see this theme of Jesus' authority, Jesus' authority. And so here's the first slice of bread. Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. The first slice of bread is Jesus declares, I got this. I got this. You can even put it this way. Heaven on earth, everything that you can see physically, Jesus has authority over that. Everything that you cannot see, the spiritual realm, Jesus has authority over that as well. So Jesus has authority on everything that happens and goes on, everything here on earth, but also in heaven as well. I don't know the exact picture, but I think Job gives us a picture maybe of what it looks like even in heaven in which Satan approaches God the Father. I don't know if that's what has to happen all the time, but my point simply is this. Everything and anything that happens in your life, Jesus Christ has authority. If you follow him, he has authority. Here's the difference between uh, what we call power and authority. The power is the ability to do something. Authority is the authorization, using the definition again, to do something. It's like a police officer who in and of himself or herself at a traffic stop cannot stop a 4,000-pound car moving at 30 miles an hour. They can't stop it with their physical hand. But because they've been given authority, they can stand in the middle of an intersection and tell cars to stop and tell cars to go because they've been given authority. And Jesus has that authority, and that's why he can declare, I got this, I got this. So your boss doesn't have the final word. The doctors didn't have the final word. Your managers had the final word. Jesus Christ has the final word. He can say, I got this, because he has all authority. I need to be honest with y'all and confess this to y'all. Hopefully the elders over here won't fire me for this, but two weeks ago, I ran a ton of red lights, at least two dozen red lights. I ran a bunch of stop signs. Uh, I was speeding as well. And you're probably wondering, how can he do that? How can he run a bunch of red lights, uh, run a bunch of red uh, stop signs and speed is because I was in a funeral procession. As y'all know, I said uh, last week, I was helped out with a funeral, help officiate a funeral. And so here's the thing. We followed a motorcycle cop and the motorcycle cop had the authority, all authority on the roads to stop traffic. And so I remember we were just running red lights like crazy. We were uh, having a funeral at the Houston National Cemetery, which is a veteran cemetery. Every 15 minutes, they have a, a, a funeral. So you have to get there on time. 
So we're speeding all along the way, going through red lights, running stop signs, because, again, these officers have the authority to do that. And because I was following the officer, I could also run the red lights as well. And the same is true, again, Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, and you follow him, and now you can walk in that authority. So the walking authority isn't name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, and you know you get what you want and all that. It's saying, Jesus Christ has given me a mission to do, and I'm gonna follow him, and because I'm following him, he has the opportunity to call the shots. He can say, I got this. Whatever you're facing, Jesus says, I got this. Secondly, look at verse 20. Teaching them to follow all I command you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. A second slice of bread is this. Jesus declares, I got your back. Jesus declares, I got your back. So not only does he say, I've got all authority, I got this. He also says, you can be assured that if you are doing what I'm about to share with you in the middle here, that I am going to be with you. You can be assured that my presence is going to be with you. And the reason why is because he knows that we have to operate in faith, believing that he's with us. Because if we don't and we think we're stuck in all by ourselves, we're going to naturally operate in fear. Throughout the Bible, in Genesis 26, God gives Isaac a commission. And what does he tell Isaac after that? He says to Isaac, don't be afraid, I'm with you. In Genesis chapter 28, he gives the same to Jacob, a commission to Jacob. And he says to Jacob, don't worry, Jacob, don't be scared. I'm with you. In, Joshua, in uh, uh, Exodus chapter three, he tells Moses, hey, to go to Pharaoh, tell him to let my people go. I know you're gonna be scared because Pharaoh is the most powerful ruler in the world, but don't worry because I am going to be with you. In Joshua chapter one, Joshua's entering the promised land. He's gonna be scared. And he says, hey, be courageous. Don't be afraid. What does God say to him? Because I am with you. He says in Isaiah 41 to Isaiah, same commission is given to Isaiah. And what does he say to Isaiah? He says, Isaiah, don't be scared because I am with you. Jeremiah chapter one, the weeping prophet Jeremiah, he says, here's a word I've given you. Go deliver your people, but don't be scared. Why? Because I am with you. And Haggai is beginning to restore the temple, restore worship. And Haggai chapter one, he says to the Jewish remnant, he says, don't be scared because I am with you. In Hebrews chapter 13, he says to the believers who are being persecuted, persecuted to the point that they're losing jobs and losing customers, he says, I know you're having struggles financially, struggles vocationally, but don't be afraid because I am with you. And then in Matthew 28, verse 20, he says to all of us in this room, I'm about to give you this thing called the Great Commission. And it's a daunting, impossible task. It's full of opposition, but don't be scared because I am with you. Okay, when I was preparing the message, I thought y'all would be a little bit more excited. I worked on all those verse references, y'all. He assures us every time he gives us a commission, something to do that's way beyond ourselves. He knows a natural tendency is if we trust ourselves, we're going to be afraid. But if we trust God and know that Jesus Christ is with us, he says, do not be afraid because he has our back. Many years ago, when I was a church planter, I was a bivocational church planter. So I worked uh, full time as a, a past, uh, personal trainer at a gym. And I looked at the, the gym floor as my mission field of sorts, a place where I can make disciples. And so I remember a couple guys I reached out to and began discipling some of the guys there I met at the gym. My boss at the time said this, hey, when you're not busy with clients, what I need you to do is go around the weight room and tell people to re-rack their weights. If you work out, you'll see those signs that says, please re-rack your weights. Don't leave your weights just sitting on the floor. And so he said, in between your clients, what I want you to do is just go around, clean up, wipe up, but also tell people, please re-rack your weights. Now, here I am, 180, 190 pounds, 
telling grown men her 230, 240 pounds, muscle bound, um, can you re-rack your weights, right? And they just grunt at me, right? And I said, oh, never mind, I'll get them. I'll get them myself, right? But this is what happened. One of the guys was a disciple, and his name was Big Mo. He's a firefighter now in San Antonio. He was training to be on the world's strongest man. And Mo was one of the guys that discipled. And Big Mo said to me this. He said, Icky, whenever I'm here, I got your back. Whenever I'm here at the gym, I got your back. You never have to be afraid because I got your back. And so everyone in the gym respected Big Mo because he was such a big, strong guy. And he was about 250, 260 pounds. And you're saying, that doesn't sound like that's a very big guy. He was only 5'8", all right? So imagine the guy who's 5'8", 250, 260 pounds. He was just solid muscle. And he said to me, whenever I'm around, I got your back. And so now all of a sudden I had this courage that came from nowhere. I'm walking around saying, hey, can you rack your weights? And they're like, who? And I'm like, your mama's ugly too, right? And I'm telling people off. Because now I am not afraid because there's someone greater than me who says, I got your back. And you all, the second slice of the bread is this, is he's about to give us a great commission and the natural tendency, if you trust yourself, is this is so daunting, I'm afraid, I've got opposition. And Jesus Christ says, I am with you. So you can experience the presence of God, the presence of Jesus Christ in your life, not only when you're worshiping, gathering like we are today, but even in your office cubicle, even when you're in the classroom, even when you're on a flight, you can experience the presence of God, of Jesus Christ, because Jesus says, I am with you. So that's the second piece of bread. I got your back. Now here's the filling. Here's the filling in the middle. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. So here's the filling. Make followers of Jesus of all ethnicities. That's the great commission. Make followers of Jesus the Greek word there, nations, is ethnos, of all ethnicities, of all ethnicities. That, he says, that is the Great Commission. So next time George Barna calls you up on the phone and says, do you know what the Great Commission is? You can say, yes, I know what it is. It's to make disciples of all ethnicities, of all nations. That's what the Great Commission is. That is the filling in the middle. So Jesus says, I got this, all authority. I got your back. And in the middle is the Great Commission he tells every single one of us individually, if we're a Christian, make disciples, make disciples of all ethnicities. He tells this church and every single Christian church to make disciples of all ethnicities. Now, why do we do this? Why do we do this? Now, give some definitions here. Why do we do this? The first one is Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. What's the fuel? The fuel is this, because we love God and we love our neighbor. We love God and love our neighbor. Matthew 22, 36 to 40 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. The reason why we make disciples, if you're looking for a fuel or a motive, is because of the fact that God has said, hey, love God, love me, and love your neighbor. If you want a bigger, larger why, a far greater why, is Isaiah 48, 9 through 11. Don't need to turn there. Isaiah 48, 9 through 11. There, God says, to us and to Isaiah, that God does everything, allows everything for his namesake, for his glory. He says, I will not share my glory with anybody else. God is a glory hound. God is all about him being worshiped and adored and being famous. His fame and glory is what it's about. And you've heard this before. John Piper says it this way. The reason why missions exist is because worship doesn't exist. Is God's desire is to be worshiped around the world by people. 
And I've got this dream. I was, I was riding my bike here this morning and Britmore is usually like a lot of cars. And when I'm leaving uh, during the weekday, like I have a hard time crossing Britmore because there's so many cars. But on Sunday mornings, it's like a, just a smooth sail and I can just literally just cruise right on in because there's no cars on Britmore. Can you imagine, at least here in greater Houston, if we were all about making disciples and fulfilling the Great Commission, that Sunday morning traffic was as bad as Monday morning traffic. Can you imagine if that happened where Monday morning traffic and Sunday morning traffic look exactly the same because we helped the disciple and lead so many people to Christ that churches around were packed, that we were planting churches left and right throughout greater Houston because evangelism and all that and making disciples exist because, again, worship doesn't exist. God's desire is to be exalted, Psalm 4610, among the nations. So the why, we love God, love neighbor, but we also do it for the glory of God, for his reputation, for his namesake, and for his fame. Second question is this, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? The Greek word disciple, even the word make disciples, is mathetesate, is mathetes, mathetes. It's from the root word manthano. We get the English word mathematics from it, or math, even math. Mathematics comes from that word mathetes. It means to study or to learn. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is a committed student who follows a teacher and is transformed by the teaching. That's what a disciple is. A, a disciple is a committed student who follows a teacher and is transformed by that teaching. So in those days, Aristotle and Plato had disciples. They would travel and follow them. They would learn from them and they would also imitate them. They would become like them. That's what Jesus says in Luke 6.40. Luke 6.40, Jesus says, Hey, the student is not above the teacher. But when this process is complete, the student will become like the teacher. He will imitate the teacher. Luke 9, 23 says it this way. He says, a disciple is somebody who says, Jesus says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Someone who denies themselves and says, I'm going to follow this teacher. Now, here's a question. We can physically follow back in the day, Aristotle, even today, follow a teacher. How do we follow an invisible king, an invisible Lord, and it's because we've got the spirit of Christ dwelling in us, the Holy Spirit that we can follow relationally, and also it's by studying God's word. God's word is living, it's supernatural, and you cannot grow as a disciple if you do not spend time regularly in God's word learning his teaching, and not just learning for head knowledge, but learning to put it into practice. So that's what a disciple is, is a committed student who follows a teacher and learns and is transformed by that teacher's teaching. What's the process? What's the process? Um, we looked at this during our family reunion a couple weeks ago. The process is this. We make disciples by helping people along in their journey of following Christ. We make disciples by helping people in their journey of following Jesus Christ. God has invited us He's invited us. He's called us. And I'll just say this too. You can make a lot of money. You can make a lot of friends. You can make a great career. You can make a lot of things in life. But if you are not making disciples as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you've missed the point. You will perpetually and continually be unfulfilled in your life because you're not doing what God has not only designed you for and gifted you for, but also called you to do. And so God has given us that invitation to participate in walking alongside people and helping them in their journey 
of becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's an amazing thing that a sovereign God who needs nobody has invited you and I to participate in helping people along. Put the scale up, the Engel scale. James Engel was a uh, missionary. That next slide. Yep, thank you. Was a missionary and he was a professor as well. And he said, as I studied missions, I know that there's a process by which people grow in Christ. So on the left side of this scale, you'll see before Christ, before they have trusted Jesus Christ, and they come to an awareness of God, God question mark. Oh, there's a, there's a God, there's a being out there greater than me. They may come to awareness then of Jesus, that there was a historical figure who claimed to be the son of God who was called Jesus. And they come to awareness of this thing called the gospel, that they're sinners, that Jesus Christ came because he loved them and died in their place. Then they learn about this thing called faith, that they can receive this gift of salvation simply by placing their faith in Jesus Christ. Now I'm gonna say this, all this is a supernatural work of God because we're spiritually dead. Before Jesus Christ, we are spiritually dead. And this awareness that comes is because of a work that God is doing in somebody's heart, just like Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And God allows us to participate in that. So here's the thing. Um, I think I see Trey over here. He asked me this question. So what does that look like? What does that look like? And making disciples can be, and write this down, random or regular. It can be random or regular. It can be somebody you meet with regularly to disciple them, like I did Big Mo. But it can also be something random. And we're going to find that here in the last point here, subpoint. It can be somebody random. So you may be sitting on an airplane on a business trip from Houston to Chicago. And what I do whenever I travel, I say, Lord... I'm about to get on this plane, traveling grace, journeying mercies, please watch over me in this plane. But number two, would you put me next to somebody? Just an appointment from you, a divine, sovereign appointment. And God, would you give me the courage and the love if you open that door to talk to them about you? It may not be sharing the full gospel and sharing the, 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 the um, Romans road or whatever. It may not be that, but even just to plant a seed, God, would you use me? And that's what it can look like. It can look like you if you're in sales with a client and there's a client you meet with maybe once every other month. And then on the second month, they share to you saying, hey, you know what? My wife, uh, she's just been diagnosed with breast cancer. And you may simply say, I'm gonna be praying for your wife. I'll be praying for your wife. And you have maybe a prayer notebook. You write her name down. What's her name? Jolene. All right, I'm gonna write Jolene's name down. The next time you come back and you say, hey, I've been praying for Jolene. How's she doing? And I said, it can be something like that where God places somebody in your life and it may just be random, seemingly. Um, so there are those random opportunities. On this other scale, then there's repentance and faith where someone becomes born again. Again, a work of God. God gives them the gift of faith and they trust Jesus Christ. And then we have this maturity that occurs. We go from being infants in Christ to children in Christ to adults in Christ. And then we become parents. What is a parent, a difference between an adult and a parent? A parent is now reproducing, is now reproducing. And I shared at the family reunion a couple weeks ago that I pray and hope that one day, because you have made disciples and they have reproduced, that when you get to the kingdom, the eternal kingdom, that as you are welcomed into the kingdom, that there will be people there who say, I am here because of you. I am your spiritual great-great-grandchild. I had that very small privilege many years ago. I was discipling some students at the University of Texas at San Antonio, young man was starting a hip-hop club. He was a big hip-hop head. He said, I'm going to start a hip-hop club. I discipled him. We met regularly, studied the Bible together, memorized scripture together, went through theology together. 
And then uh, a few years later, I'm at this other event for InterVarsity, and I meet this other young man. And I'm talking to him. I say, hey, tell me more about yourself, how you came to faith. And he shared his testimony. And then he said, and, this, and Matt Martinez discipled me. I said, Matt Martinez discipled you? He said, yeah, yeah, Matt Martinez discipled me. I said, Matt, I discipled Matt Martinez. And he's like, for real? I'm like, yeah. So I said, you're my spiritual grandchild. <laughs> and I'm praying that this guy, I think his name is Javier, is now discipling others and discipling others. And it's because godly men disciple me. Richard Bach, Tony Evans disciple me. And I'm pouring into others what the life of Christ that they poured into me. Now I'm pouring into other people. And you and I have that opportunity as well. And I know what we want to do over the next couple of weeks and even outside of here is equip you on making disciples. So if you got that card as, you're, as you came in on the website, byucfellowship.com slash mission, we've given you some tools in which we will give you the tools on making disciples disciples. Quick question. How many in here, in here this morning have been discipled? If you have been discipled, someone has discipled me. All right. Probably a good 90%. How many all in here right now are discipling somebody? You're discipling somebody. Okay. So about 90% of you all have been discipled by somebody. And I'd say roughly maybe 30% of y'all are currently discipling somebody. My dream is 100-100, that one day 100% of the people at Bicey Fellowship can say, I have been discipled, and right now, God is using me in this amazing supernatural work of discipling somebody. And that's why I want to encourage you. We're having a prayer meeting on April 25th, because again, this is a supernatural work of God. And one of the reasons why I believe the American church has failed in making disciples is because number one, we haven't preached on it and talked about it, even though Jesus says this is the main thing. But two is, we have not prayed. It's a supernatural work of God that God has to do, that God opens up. And so this church, I pray, would be just even further intensified in our prayer life, collectively and individually, as we pray together that God would open up more doors for us to take people from spiritual deadness and darkness into spiritual life and into spiritual maturity. So that's the process, is we make disciples by helping people along in their journey of following Christ. Again, this is more than mentoring. It's more than just a transfer of information. It's the life of Jesus Christ poured in, invested in somebody else. And who do we make disciples out of? We make disciples out of everybody and any, anybody God places in our lives. He says, all ethnicities, all ethnicities. I was uh, just finished reading a book called When Everything is Missions. And the argument of this book is this. When we say that every single member of Bayou City Fellowship is a missionary, we water down what it means to be an overseas missionary, be mobilized to do missions, perhaps in an unreached part of the world. And I understand that. The, the extremes that I've seen, and I'm generalizing here, is there's a lot of churches that are so focused on global missions, reaching the unchurched, that they're doing nothing in their own communities. They don't even reflect and even look like the communities they're in because they're doing nothing in their communities. Other churches are so focused on their communities. They're, they look like their community. They're reaching their neighbors and friends and coworkers, but they're doing nothing for the roughly one-third of the world that has not heard the gospel, that doesn't have a witness among them. And so my prayer is this, that our church would be a church that does both, that we would impact our community around us, Spring Branch Memorial and Greater Houston, we make an impact, and we would see people from our community come and be part of our church and grow and mature in their faith and their walk with Jesus Christ, but also that we would be used by God 
to be mobilizers, to send out people to the unreached people groups. Again, again I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. 70,000 people die every day having not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. 70,000 people a day, they estimate. And I believe there are people right now among us, young and old, middle-aged, who God may be saying, I'm trying to reach you and use you and mobilize you to go and reach these unreached people groups. I'm all about church planning. Our elders are as well. That's our bottom vision. Is Our bottom part of vision is we're gonna plant churches. And I believe we're still gonna, God's gonna use us to plant more churches throughout greater Houston. I believe that. But I also would say, let's plant churches. Because here's the thing, y'all. If, let's say the building collapsed, the wall fell down or the roof collapsed next week and we just say, hey, for the next two months, we're not gonna worship and gather because we have to fix the building. So in that next eight weeks, whatever, the next two months, would you go worship at another church? You'd say, sure, I'll go to this church, I can go to this church, I can go to our Cypress campus, I can go here, I can go here. They estimate that about a third of the world don't even have a church, a local church at all. So if that were to happen, they would have nowhere else to go. So let's also be about not just planting churches in greater Houston, which I think is critical because we're one of the fastest growing cities in America. We can plant a mega church a week and still not keep up with the growth that's happening here. But we also have to think about planting churches where there are no churches, where there is no witness for Jesus Christ. That is, people trust Jesus Christ and we want them to grow and mature in Jesus Christ and become future pastors and elders and deacons and uh, vital parts of the community. We have to plant churches around the world. So again, why, who do we make disciples out of? We make disciples out of everybody and anybody God places in our lives, whether random or regular, whether across the street or across the ocean, that is the call that Jesus Christ has given us. Um, I can tell basically your generation when you were born, whether you're a boomer, Gen X, or millennial by certain things. How many of you all in here have ever played an eight track? Played an eight track? All right, I'm right. Most of the boomers raise their hand. How many of y'all in here had a Walkman? A Walkman, a cassette tape Walkman. All right, most of the Gen X people raise their hand. Now, um, this is also seen in Hollywood. The boomers in the room. Batman to you is Adam West. Adam West is your Batman. If you're a Gen Xer, George Clooney, Val Kilmer, Michael Keaton is perhaps your Batman. And if you're a millennial, you probably have never heard of any of those guys I just mentioned. And Christian Bale is your Batman. So you can tell what generation you are most likely by the things that you use and who you consider to be the type of Batman. Well, I grew up not watching Batman, uh, the show live, but I grew up watching reruns. So I would come home from school every day and we watched reruns of Batman. You can put up that first slide. And I remember, I remember on every single episode of Batman, they would start out by having the Riddler or the Joker or the Penguin causing havoc and mischief in Gotham City. But what happened? Commissioner Gordon would pick up the phone because he's got authority, obviously. He's the commissioner. He would pick up the phone, the bat phone, the red bat phone, and he would call Bruce Wayne. And every single episode, he would give Bruce Wayne a commission. He would say, hey, the Riddler's in town. Hey, the Joker's in town. And he would say, you know, take care of it. Get him in jail, whatever. 
He would give every episode, the commissioner would give Bruce Wayne a commission. And on the other line, you would see Adam West, Batman. Pick up the other end of the phone and answer the commission from Commissioner Gordon. Now, this is something true across generations, whether you're Adam West, Michael Keaton, George Clooney, Val Kilmer, or Christian Bale. Regardless of your generation, Bruce Wayne never went out to fulfill the commission as Bruce Wayne. He never went out on his own. What would he do? He would armor up. He would put on his bat outfit and get all his bat gadgets. And the same is true of us. Jesus Christ has given us a commission. He's the commissioner. He's given all of us in here a commission. And he has said, make disciples of all ethnicities. Everybody and anybody God puts in your path, whether you say, I'm going to be here at work, in my cubicle, in my office, in my job, my employees at Mercedes-Benz, wherever we are, or he says, you know what, I'm calling you to go overseas, to go to an unreached people group, wherever you are. He has given us a commission to make disciples, but we cannot do it in our own power and ability. You cannot go out as yourself, and that's why Paul says it this way, as we are going to face spiritual warfare and opposition, put on the whole armor of God, put on the breastplate of righteousness, put on the belt of truth. He says, take up the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the gospel of faith, uh, gospel boots. And he says, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We have to go out fully clothed in Jesus Christ. So again, hopefully when George Barna calls you this week and says, do you know the great commission? You can say, yes, I do know the great commission. It's to make disciples of all ethnicities, of all nations. You can answer that, but not only answer the question, but over the next few weeks, God can begin to open your eyes saying, this is how I want you involved in that. Because again, you can make a whole lot of money. You can make a whole lot of friends. You can make a great career, make a lot of things in life. But if you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, are not making disciples, you've missed the mark. And you can use your money to make disciples. You can use your friends as, to make disciples. You can use your career to make disciples. You can use your neighborhood to make disciples. You can use all those things. God can use that. But again, if you are not, and I am not making disciples, and I speak, preach to myself, if I'm not making disciples, then we have missed the mark. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, you have said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. You are the commissioner. And you have given us a commission. You've given your followers through the ages a commission to make disciples of all nations, make disciples of all ethnicities. So God, I pray right now for every single person watching online, for every person in this room, for every single person that will watch this tomorrow morning or sometime this week. God, that, that would be our personal life mission along with the mission of this church. God, we want you to be glorified. We want worshipers all around this world, for you to become famous, to you to, for you to be important, to be weighty, to matter in the lives of people all around the globe. And God, we also want to be fueled by our just deep love for you. Would you help us grow in our love for you and our commitment to you? Grow in our love for our neighbor? And God, I pray that this family, this body whose head is Jesus Christ 
God, that as we are surveyed perhaps and asked what the Great Commission is, we can clearly say to make disciples of all nations, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. God, we know that this Great Commission is repeated throughout the gospels and in Acts as well. But God, help us not only to know that, but because you have all authority, you got this. Because you've got our back. And you've invited us to participate in the Great Commission. Would you show us, God, the people that you've placed in our lives that we can meet with regularly to disciple? Or even just the random opportunities that you give us as well to help lead people further along in their journey of following Jesus. God, perhaps it's that coworker who's got a close family relative who's battling a disease. It's that coworker or friend who's out of work. That other sports parent God, perhaps, who is beginning to ask spiritual questions after this past Easter. That a historical figure by the name of Jesus came and declared that he and the Father are one. God, perhaps there are some here today that you are calling. Perhaps it's that Empty nester. God, who's made a lot of money, made a lot of friends. But God, right now you're stirring in their heart to be mobilized, to be sent and to go, to plant a church, perhaps in the Middle East, in Asia, in a place where Jesus Christ is not named there's not a visible, tangible witness. God, perhaps someone who's just graduated from college, who's got just an amazing career path ahead of them. Youngest vice president at the age of 31, perhaps. That you are calling God right now to fulfill the Great Commission. Again, at a place where Jesus Christ has not been named. God, would it break our hearts? Because you've told us not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Would you break our hearts, God, for those that don't know you, who are living a life apart from you? And God, would you give us a great love? Would you fill our hearts with your love to genuinely love our neighbors and not just in word, but in deed as well? God, I'm grateful, Lord, so grateful that there are some churches that are so focused on missions abroad that they neglect their neighborhood and their community. And there are some churches that are so focused on their community that they neglect the nations and abroad. I'm grateful, God, that Bay City Fellowship is focused on both our community, Greater Houston, but also abroad as well, of reaching the unreached. 
God, would you grow that? Would you multiply that here, God, I pray. We pray that, God. We can't do it. You can do it. We trust you. We believe you can do it. And we ask you to do it, God. We pray all this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. I wanna ask our prayer team to come on up. Um, if you need prayer, the prayer team will be on my left and right and invite you to come and join them in prayer. Uh, if there's something that you need prayer for, perhaps God is stirring in your heart, working in your heart. Perhaps you're in a Christian bubble and everyone around you is a Christian, a mature Christian already. And you're saying, God, is there somebody? I want to be available to you. So they're available now to pray. Also on our app, if you've got the app, if you just press the prayer request, you can submit a prayer request. Our elders, we pray every Thursday morning at 6.15 and we'd love to join you in prayer as well. So please submit that now.